Hey folks, welcome back to the Beards Creek podcast. This week, uh, we are beginning to transition into our fall show. We've been doing interviews all summer long, and uh, this week is huge here in New York State. October 1st starts the archery season, and from October 1st till January 1st, we will be in the woods pretty near constantly. And uh, we wanted to do something different for the start of Uh, of the fall season. And so today, what we have is a compilation of a number of deer stories. Uh, We have stories about successful hunts. We have stories about a guy hunting over a decoy and uh, people who are having their first bow season ever and their first deer uh, kill with a bow and people that have been hunting for a while and still haven't been successful in that way. And we even got a guy who, uh, who took a nice Mississippi buck while hunting, uh, with the, uh, guys from the hunting public. So hopefully this, uh, podcast will be a great way to kind of get you hyped up for being back in deer camp. Uh, we'll get you excited about getting out of bed each morning, uh, as you get ready to go hunt and, uh, and that you'll be able to, uh, to just listen to these stories and get yourself fired up. The first one up is uh, Nate St. James. Nate has been a guest on the show a couple times. He is a hunter here in Western New York, tons of experience, and uh, he's going to talk a little bit about a hunt that he had over a decoy. All right. Uh, it was no. November 2nd, uh, 2015, I had a, took off work. It was a Monday, I believe. And when I was driving in to my, my spot, I was seeing a bunch of deer along the side of the roads. So I was thinking just on my way in, it was going to be a good, good morning. Said a cold, brisk morning, perfect November rut morning and i get my stand um a little pinch spot between a cornfield and alfalfa field and then i was like in the little section of timber and uh it got i don't know half hour after sunrise um i uh saw a, a little I don't know, a little six point or something hauling across the um, alfalfa field that came out of the the bordering cornfield. And uh, I had my my decoy with me. Um, So I let out a couple loud grunts and it stopped, kind of looked back and just took off running. And I'm like, that's kind of weird. And about... (sighs) 30 seconds later, I could hear corn moving, and then I just see some antlers coming through through the corn. And sure enough, within 10 seconds or so, he's working his way down toward me, works his way down out of the corn and around this pond and through this the pinch point right to me. He's looking, he's just locked. He, he got to like 50 yards. And just locked right in on this decoy. And uh, he just starts working his way downwind to the the decoy, working his way around. 
coming in closer, coming in closer, and finally got he got to 20 yards, perfect broadside. I ended up smoking him, heart shot, watched him fall over. He ran 40 or 50 yards, and it was just an awesome morning. And my biggest buck to date so far with the bow and a very uh, memorable memorable uh, bow hunt and awesome early October bow hunt. The next hunt that we have up for you is uh, shared with us uh, by good friend Adrian Wilson. Adrian uh, is located in Tennessee, but he hunts all over the South. And uh, he's going to share a bit about a, uh, a fantastic hunt that he had um, while hunting down in Mississippi, of all places. So uh, hope you enjoy this one as much as we did listening to it. And um, uh, give it a listen. All right, so uh, there's a couple, but I'm going to choose one here of uh, one of my favorite archery hunts. This this uh, did end up in a kill. That always makes it better. But uh, it was actually, I was down in uh, Mississippi. I got invited uh, with the THP guys to come down there and camp and hunt with them. and Or like on the same WMA, like I didn't hunt with them. We all sp- split up, and I wouldn't see them until we got back at camp every night. But uh Anyway, um, I, I was in the Delta area, and I couldn't tell you the city right now. Um, and if I knew it, I might not tell you anyway because I don't want you going down there and killing them deer that I'm trying to go after every year. But uh, so this was a whole different lay of the land for me, being from the hills and hollers of Tennessee, and you know we got some ag and stuff like that. This was pretty much uh, flat. Uh, not flat, like it was uh, swampland, but there was no rise in, in, in the topography of it. It was just all the same, I guess, uh, uh, going up and down. Like, it's not like I'm walking up a hill, like literally the hill there that, that actually I was talking to a local, he was telling me this one spot that he'd seen some good deer. So I was checking it out and he said, and I go up this rise and I, and it was literally maybe a foot higher. And, uh, I passed it a few times actually because I, I thought a big rise was a rise, but I learned it's all pretty much flat, flat land. Anyway, I met a local guy there that I befriended when I was out hunting. Uh, I think my second or third day, I had some other encounters with some 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 deer and some bucks down there, but I was kind of wanting something a little bit bigger. Uh, but uh, he said that he had a canoe that he had hauled about a mile back into the woods on this public land and he covers it up and he keeps it there year round. It's uh, he has a chain around it because the, the swamps will, the water will, will rise. Well, anyway, he uses that to get to the places you can't get when the water's up. So uh, I was like, he's like, yeah, I'm going to go hunt. And, but there's so much land back there. You can come with me. I said, yeah, what's going to do it. So, uh, to get to that though, we had to get in a Piro, which I'd never been in before. It's a, a real tippy type boat, but they're very maneuverable to get in and out of, of this swamp area. So we take a Piro and only uh, maybe about 500 yards, and then we get to a wood line. And uh, 
just where the water is not, but you know, you if if you are picturing a story here, and you can picture swampland. There's a lot of it's underwater, like maybe ankle high or whatever. Uh, but then there's some that the water just hasn't come up that high, but it's pretty much water everywhere. Uh, anyway, we get to that flatland and, and walk about about a mile, and there's this canoe. And uh, we hop in that canoe and go about another mile, and I have zero service. Um, I don't know how far back. I mean, I just know we're deep. I've never I've never gone that deep on uh, in, in any kind of uh, public land walking or boat riding or whatever, but we were back there and, uh, I was, I didn't have service. Like I said, but if you're a hunter, you've been here before where you're able to receive texts, but you can't send them out. And, uh, he's hunting about 400 yards from me and he keeps texting me that, Oh, there's a shooter. There's a shooter. Anyway, he, he names off seven deer and, and it's about four 30 in the afternoon. I've not seen one this was an evening hunt. And, uh, anyway, so about five o'clock I hear, I hear a splash. Uh, and I look to my three o'clock and there's a, a big old giant deer, like literally walking my way. Um, I couldn't have picked it out any more perfect. And the, the, the tree that I got into, um, so we're in a swamp and I'm, I'm asking him like, you know, we're, there's a lot of water here. What are we looking for as far as sign? Because we just don't have that here in Tennessee. And uh, he said, you know, there's, you'll find some rubs out here, this and that. And so what I, I walked around uh, maybe about a hundred or 200 yards from where we landed. I just found some, some deer tracks because these deer don't always bed in the same spots because they can't because of the water levels. So he, he said, there's not like a bedding area. There's just, certain spots so anyway i just found the deer tracks and so i because if there was any deer poo or anything like that it's probably underwater i did see some rubs uh but i focused on those tracks because they were fresh and i climbed the tree deer comes in i had one spot marked because again this is at my three o'clock so i'm in a saddle so i had to I shift my body a little bit and i had this one window at 25 yards that ranged earlier you know if you like me and you range all the spots around you uh when the time comes i forgot how far that was but that one one particular spot i knew was 25 yards and this deer walks and just stops in that window i, I mean i couldn't have drawn up a better scenario and i let it fly and uh he ran about 60 yards and dropped and uh uh, the experience of, uh, being there and, and hunting a new area and new lands are always exciting. And then when you get to harvest the animal, uh, so when, uh, my buddy that I'd met, he got down from hunting and, uh, at the boat and I told him I had a deer over here and he was really excited and happy for me. And I learned something new on this hunt. Uh, it was dark by this time uh getting later and we had a major boat uh traveling out just to get out to our cars uh so he uh told me to take off one of my base layers or some kind of article article of clothing and uh we're gonna wrap this deer up or wrap around his horns or his head or whatever we did and he said this will keep the coyotes off for about two or three days you know, because of your smells out there, they're not, they're not going to come around it. 
and I, I'd never done that before. I was actually kind of scared to leave it out there because there's a lot of coyotes out in that area. And so we, we left it and then, uh, came back out the next morning, uh, with him and he uh, helped me cut it up and pack it out. And just the experience of, uh, doing that, packing out and going through a couple different boats and, and all that stuff. And, uh, and was able to do it and then had the, the THP guys at camp was just, just a memorable experience and, uh, uh, made a lifelong friend of that guy. So actually now I go back and hunt with him every single year down there in Mississippi. And then actually last year we took a trip and did a run, rut hunt, uh, down in Oklahoma. But, uh, I, I'd say that's probably my most, uh, memorable that stands out to me. It was just, you know, hunting new property again, learning new things, learning new types of terrain and the swamps and whatnot, and then making some friends out of it and then hanging out with some friends and then being able to bring home a, a nice swamp buck was, was, was a good deal. Awesome. Thank you, Adrian. Beards Creek Adventures. Our motto is faith, family, and stewardship. We are committed to seeking God through adventure in his creation enjoying life together, and working to be stewards of the land for its benefit and ours. BCA family is not limited to relatives. If you share our values, we consider you kin. We invite you to take a chair at the family table each week and join the conversation and laughs as we discuss topics of faith, family, land management, and adventures of all kinds. The next hunt up is with Ryan Martai. Ryan is really part of the Beards Creek family. He has been out here and hunted with us some. Uh, he hails from the Adirondacks. He was the second guest that we had on this podcast ever. And um, while he is from uh, up north, he lives here in western New York and uh, has just gotten into bow hunting over the last few years. And he uh, regales us with uh a close-up encounter, a close encounter <laughs> he had with a, uh, a deer uh, last year. So my favorite uh, bow hunting story, I'm actually fairly new to bow hunting. This is going to be my, I think my fourth fall. I have yet to actually shoot something. But uh, I was talking to Mike about missed opportunities. They could be a missed opportunity. This was definitely one of those. I went up north. It would have been uh, last year, year before, last year. Yeah, last fall. And it was the last weekend of bow season up north, and rifle season was going to open up that Saturday. So I took Friday off, said I'll hunt the property, my family's property, and with the bow and try shooting something. We had a, a several does we wanted to take off. And I didn't see anything in the morning. And at night, there was a cornfield that was still standing. I'm like, oh, I'm sneak around the back of the cornfield, and I'll get up in the tree. I have my climbing stand with me. And so I get to the hedgerow, and I pick out this nice pine tree, no, no limbs or anything. I'm like, oh, it's going to be a perfect spot. There's deer runs here, here, within 20 yards of me. And so I get my climbing stand hooked up, and I tie my tow rope to the bow, and I start climbing. And I get up to the top and realize my tow rope is still down on the ground. So I climb back down. I grab my tow rope. I climb back up. I think somehow... Actually, I don't think I had my bow hooked up the first time because I had to climb down a second time. So it must have been hooked the bow up the second time to go back up. 
So needless to say, I went three times up and down the tree in a matter of 10 minutes. So I got all settled in, and I hear a combine start up across the road. There was cornfield, the road, another cornfield. And they both were standing corn, thinking he's going to come right here next. He's going to blow my chances. So me thinking I was proactive, I got out of the tree, first time in that tree in 20 minutes, grabbed all my gear, moved to the next field, which I've hunted this field before, and I was like, you know what, it's getting late. Leave my stand. I'm going to go sit on the ground. And there's a thicket of, like, berry briars and whatnot, and I've seen deer there, and I've sat right in that thicket. And so I walk in, and I see this really nice deer run. I'm thinking, well, this is perfect. I know there's deer runs there. There's deer runs in front of me. Problem is, the deer run was five yards away from the only spot I could sit where there was enough cover around me. I'm like, well, I mean, if they're there, it's going to be a really close shot. I'm like, well, I'll try it anyway. So I sit down, and I didn't see anything all evening, and then probably about 20 minutes before dark. I'm like, okay, here's prime time. Here we go. And I could see some deer moving right where I thought they were going to come from. And like, it was a mom, and I think it was like a yearling and a fawn. And I'm like, oh, sweet, they're on that runway. They're going to be five yards. They're going to be right in my lap. So I get my bow on the ground. I'm thinking, okay, let's see, how can I do this? They're coming right in. And there was two trees between me and the deer. I'm thinking, okay, all I got to do is, when they go behind those trees, to pull up. And I'm used to, with a gun, just being able to pull up behind the tree you don't have any arms sticking out on either side of the tree. And must be, my gut only thought is those two arms went out and they can see movement on either side of the tree and trees don't move horizontally. And as soon as I went to full draw, all three of them stopped. I'm like, oh man. And I'm holding it and I'm holding it and I'm holding it. And all that don't need to do was take three more steps or she would have been open. I mean, I'm sure it was only like 45 seconds, but it felt like a five minute hold. And I'm holding, and we all know we start doing the whole sh- the shakes. I'm like, oh, there's just a little, little bit more, please, please. And I just about threw myself in the bow, and I had to put it down. And they ran. I'm like, oh. I was, I was really upset. But I'm thinking, you know what? That is, I think that was like the third time I ever actually drew on a deer. I'm like, and that was the closest the deer's ever been. And I was able to draw on the deer. I didn't let, let one fly, but I was able to actually do what we do as bow hunters it's not always the success it's sometimes just the adrenaline rush of being able to draw on a deer and not having it happen but that's probably my coolest experience kim Boyles has been a bca family member uh almost since the start she has uh has cut her teeth on hunting here she was a guest hunter her first year, and we we did some guiding with her, and uh, she is going to share a story that about that first year where she was actually successful in getting a deer, and uh, almost didn't actually recover it. And so, um, for those of you who hit a deer and give up shortly after, uh, this story hopefully will change your mind and convince you to continue uh, tracking that deer even after the trail seems to have gone cold. Okay, I guess it was about um, three years ago. It was my first full year of bow hunting, um, and I was sitting in a, uh, I believe it was a climber stand, um, over the food plot area, and it was my favorite stand because it was the shortest walk, I think. And... um, 
over, I think, a couple-week time period, we were seeing um, a set of uh, young buck group coming through uh, rather routinely um, under the stand. So I knew there was a good chance that I was going to see something coming through. And earlier in the morning, there was a doe and a couple small fawns that had come through that I just let walk because it was still early in the season. And um, I knew Mike would give me a hard time if I took a doe. Um, and uh, so Dave Calkin and Mike were um, at different parts of the woods and they were kind of... Um, you know, in a chat group going back and forth about what we were seeing and where things were moving. And, um, just before I was feeling like, all right, I'm about to call it because I'm cold and nothing's moving. And it was that time of the morning where it's probably time to just let the woods rest. Um, it came up on a text that there was the buck group was moving my way to keep an eye out. So I'm excited. I'm hearing things behind me and nothing, nothing, nothing. And I see a small buck come out and um, a few seconds later, there is the bigger buck coming out behind it. And I'm pretty sure that I was so scared that I almost dropped my bow out of the tree. And so... I waited and waited and they kind of were just walking around and they were browsing on um, some looking branches that um, have been set up in the food plot. So I had a uh, good amount of time to kind of settle myself and it was making a decision which um, of the bucks was going to give me an opportunity to, to shoot and which one wasn't. And um, I had a opportunity to shoot the bigger one and I kicked my coffee over out of the tree stand and I almost lost it and so all it did was make the deer actually walk closer to my tree stand because it was curious about the coffee and so as it walked almost directly under my stand I took a shot thought I saw a good kick thought I heard good noise I had no idea honestly this is all stuff that the guys in the group were telling me that I should look out for when I take a deer. And I really just wanted to be part of this guy's group that (laughs) I hadn't had an opportunity to take a deer yet. And so I wait a few seconds, send a text message out, say, I'm pretty sure I just shot a buck. And, you know, they're like, great, stay where you are. You know, and of course, the first thing you want to do is climb down out of the stand and go look for it. And, Um, so I was trying to be patient and I climbed down and I don't really see much blood, don't see an arrow, and I'm trying to see what direction the deer went. And so the guys make their way back up to where I am to help me start tracking and there's not a lot of blood. And I'm like, okay, well... I'm not discouraged because I don't know that not a lot of blood means you probably didn't get a good shot and I'm excited and I'm shaking and I'm sweating and so we start to track the deer and 
I'm still excited. And they're like, oh, there's not a lot of blood. Maybe we should wait. Should we push it? And so we're tracking and there's just small drops of blood. And at this time it was still early fall. So the drops of blood were really mixing in with the leaves, which was much harder. And I never really tracked a lot other than the practice tracking that I had done with Charlie. So it was really an exercise of patience. And I'm sure that uh, Dave and Mike were probably getting aggravated with me because I'm so excited. I'm like probably walking over the blood spots. And so we track it around and we can hear it kind of ahead of us, but we're still trying to push it a little bit to so that it, we could decide if it was a good shot or not. And um, we get to the edge of the woods and it crosses across the field in um, onto another property that we didn't have permission to go on to. Um, we did get permission to eventually, I believe, go track it. But when we did lay eyes on the deer, which is probably about 45 minutes into following the blood, it was still moving, but it was definitely injured. And so we decided to call it because it had gone on to the private property and we needed to get permission so we went back to where my sand was and uh, Dave found the arrow and it wasn't really, it didn't have blood very far up the arrow, which also meant it probably wasn't injured enough to go down. And so this whole time I'm like, yeah, awesome. I got a deer and now I feel like a jerk because, well, if it doesn't go down, it wasn't a great shot you know, did I do something wrong? I'm second guessing myself. And the nice thing about the Beards Creek team is they're very encouraging, even if they were thinking in the back of their head, this girl don't know what she's doing. So we still just said, okay, well, we'll see if we can get permission. And um, we're lucky enough to be friends with most of the people uh, around the Beards Creek property. And um, the ones that aren't hunters are respectful of hunting. So you know, they want you to recover your deer and have good success. So that's been a blessing. Um, so we decided to call it, went home, went to work, just beating myself up all day. And um, even into the night, I did not sleep. It was like the night before school where you're excited, except for I was so disappointed. I felt like I didn't do something right. Um you know, I was really heartbroken. I just felt like I wanted to, you know, put the deer out if it wasn't, you know, going to die and it was suffering and all these things that I'm sure other hunters can relate to that you feel when you're, you feel like it was a good shot and you're not finding a deer. So nobody um, had reached out after that point. Um, of seeing the deer and there were some people that had gone around on four-wheelers um, that didn't see anything on the piece of property where we thought the deer went and um, early the next morning um, there had been a message come through that they had found my deer potentially and the day before I believe it was about 50 maybe 60 degrees 
the day that we went to go recover my deer, it was like 80 degrees. And folks, it was stinking. <laughs> Recovering a deer that had been sitting, it was questionable, but luckily it had been cool enough overnight that it wasn't an issue. But um, it wasn't an ideal way to find and gut a deer that had been sitting. Uh, so we go on to private property and recover the deer. And um, when they found the deer, it was about 9 o'clock at night and it was still warm. So the deer hadn't been uh, gone very long. When the kids found it on the private property, they cut one of the antlers off and gave it to the dog. So my unicorn deer <laughs> uh, was very interesting. Uh, we were able to recover it. The meat was still good. It wasn't bloated or anything. And uh, we brought it back. And uh, Boomer was nice enough to help me gut it and clean it up while the flies were attacking us. Because, again, it was about 80 degrees. And uh, it was not, again, the ideal way that you want to be gutting a deer in bow season when it's 80 degrees and it has been sitting in, yeah. So I hope that my next bow deer is uh, not in 80 degree weather and it's a quicker recovery because um, it was pure patience and prayer and uh, reminding myself, you know, to be patient and it's not on my timing, you know, that things are going to happen and, you know, I was lucky enough to recover my deer, but um, I think it's an important lesson that make sure that you're practicing uh, your bow, that you're um, not rushing a shot, that your shot is an ethical shot, that you're not just shooting to shoot. Um, because in the long run, if you're a gun hunter, you're going to feel bad if you miss a deer and it's something that you could have done differently. Our next guest is BCA family member Boomer, or Charlie, and he is going to share the story about his first archery deer and uh, um, and the fact that he got it on his own just makes it even more sweet for him. Hope you enjoy this one. So it was November 7th of 2021, my first ever bow deer. I had hunted the night before, I believe it was a Saturday, guiding for a friend of our family friend of ours. He was doing crossbow. Um, and we filmed and we saw a lot of activity. Um, and there's a whole story with that as well that I'm sure I've shared. Uh, and I knew where I wanted to set up the night before just as a result, just based on what we had seen, where they were coming from. And, uh, and so the next night he came out again and he set up where we were that night on the corner of a field and I went about a hundred yards inside the woods um, on, a, on a stand that we knew was kind of cornered to an open area that they kind of avoided. They, they cut the edges of that, of that open area. So I was set up there waiting for either them to come out of bedding behind me or come out of bedding in front crossing over. And it wasn't a lot of wind. It was a pretty normal night not a lot happening squirrels a, a lot and uh and then you kind of hit that last hour of daylight and i started hearing started seeing stuff kind of poking around 
and I watched the first three or four doe poke out in front of me, about 100 to 50 yards in front of me, somewhere in that range. And, uh, and I kind of watched them, and they, were, they were never weren't headed towards me. I, I was watching them go towards the field, so I'm texting the guy in the field in the, in the blind telling him, hey, you got a couple of doe kind of meandering your way. Um, and then two more came out. And they started walking my way a little bit. It was uh, two and a half. I think we decided two and a half and a yearling. And they're kind of working towards me, zigzagging along the edge of that, that opening. And I'm watching and I'm ready. At this point, I'm already standing. I have my, have my camera set up to the right of me. And that was already filming because I, I, I wanted that out of the way. and did not want to focus on the fact that I had a camera on me. I wanted to want to focus on the deer. So I set up, at this point, I was hunting with my muzzies, 50 grains, and uh, my old diamond uh, infinity series, I believe. And uh, and I'm watching the two kind of work in, and there's a tree about 10, 15 yards in front of me that I knew they were going to go around, and that was going to be my window to shoot. Um, and sure enough, I mean, they followed that exact path I was expecting, and the lead doe, the older one, steps behind that tree. And uh, so I get up. I'm at full draw at that point waiting. And she pokes out, and, and that's my shot. So I take it, and she uh, jumped the string a little bit, and a, probably a little bit of a estimate of, of yardage. But I end up spining her, and she dropped where she was, which there's kind of a bittersweet in that. There wasn't a track. I knew I had her, but it, I would have much rather had a good, clean kill, especially for my first bow deer. Uh, regardless, I was I was stoked. I, I I'm fist pumping in the air. I'm looking out, trying to see where the other ones went. Texting Buddha, who was in the field, and uh, and he's he's excited because he's never been there for a a harvest, at least for, with me. So he. Uh, he comes in, I don't know, half an hour later, we, we let him settle. I went and finished off that doe just to, to put her out of her misery as soon as I could. And, um, and that's a sobering experience. I grew up trapping a little bit, so you got a bit of an experience there with, with being close to close, eye to eye with, with a, an animal that you're going to harvest. But it's something different when it's when it's a doe and, and you've been hunting deer all your life and, and every time you come across them, they're either standing and eating in a field or, or they're already dead. So that was definitely a sobering experience for me. And it's always emotional no matter what happens, whether it's rifle or bow or or you're not harvesting them at all. So after I finished that, I waited another half hour till light kind of settled and the sun was set and Buddha was, he was just as eager as I was to get field dressed and, and get it taken care of and, and just see that, that side of the, the hunt. And so he came in just as sun had set. So we had a little bit of light left and, and I told him we got probably half an hour legally of hunting or of hunting light and the Talifan arrow knocked and his crossbow pulled back. And, and, uh, so we're sitting there field dressing I'm elbows deep, kind of talking him through it, and at this point, I've I've done so many. It's it's nice to know that I can do it without my dad. Um, I believe that was the first year I had field dress without him there, or 
somewheres nearby. So that was that was definitely something unique for me to experience. I uh, it was it, it it's just nice to to feel that you can you can do that without somebody watching you. I've always said that there's three steps to to mastering something. There's you learn from watching somebody else do it, which I did for many years. Then from there you you do it with them and they kind of guide you as you do it. And then from there you have to be able to do it alone. And so finally being able to do that alone was was really something special for me. So then uh, Buddha and I are, are field dressing. We're getting it taken care of and not 10 minutes into that process. A little, I think, basket rack that we had nicknamed Whack Rack pops up out of nowhere, looks at us and, and takes off running again. And uh, which is always just so, so funny to me to think all the ruckus of this deer going down, everything else had left the woods and I was sure they were gone. Um, and not 10 minutes later, we got another deer coming in questioning what's going on. So uh, from there, we just, we dragged it to the field and got it back to camp. And my next day was spent butchering it. And, and Buddha came out for that as well to, to help with that. So that's always cool to, to be able to share from start to finish with new hunters. And, uh, and that was, that was probably one of my favorite deer as of, as of now was that, that first bow deer. Um, I'm looking to put a couple more on the board this year. I got a new bow set up. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm itching (laughs) next Sunday is, is opening day of bow season and, and I'm ready to go. So I'll, uh, I'll leave it at that. Our next podcast up is with the world-famous Kyle Stolzfus. Most of you know him as Amish Kyle. He is not Amish, but uh, he is a great friend. We met Kyle the first year we bought our property. He was the first person we found trespassing. Um, To his credit, he didn't know that the the property had been purchased. And so out of that, we've developed a great friendship. He and his family have... Uh, just bent over backwards to be kind to us, and we've given Kyle permission to to hunt our property anytime he wants, and he keeps an eye on it for us. Uh, he is going to share with us the story of his first buck. All right. Um, so, first buck that I shot, it was it was the second deer I shot the first first year I was hunting when I was twelve years old. So it was about it was about the 15th day and i uh, took my climber out in the woods and went to a spot where saw a little deer trail there and so i decided to set up set up the climber went up in the tree about you know 15 20 feet sitting there for for an hour or two and um then some squirrels started showing up so i had i decided i was going to try and shoot one of these squirrels (laughs) uh so i I had just shot, I had just shot my first deer, a button buck, like two weeks prior. So I had um, a a broadhead that was dull from shooting that deer. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna switch out to that arrow with the dull broadhead, and we'll uh, shoot a squirrel with this thing. So switched it out. Was getting ready to draw back on this on the squirrel, about 20 yards away, and and I look over and there comes a buck. So this is. It wasn't wasn't a crazy buck, it was a little nice little eight point. Um, so I uh, like, oh, here comes a buck, comes right by, and 
I was like, oh, do I shoot it? Do I not shoot it? You know, it wasn't real huge, but I was like, oh, yeah, definitely got to shoot it. This is my first buck. Walks right in, under my stand, walks about eight yards away. I drew back, shot it. It was like quartering away, so I shot it. Pretty much went right right behind the shoulder, um, hit both lungs. They ran about 30 yards, started weaving around and fell over. I was all hyped up. I was calling my friends and got down from the stand and ran over to it. But I didn't even switch out my broadhead, so I, I used the uh, the doll broadhead from the, the deer I just shot a couple weeks ago. Um, but it all, it all worked out. And... That was, that was definitely one of my favorite hunts. Before we go, I wanted to share one quick story of my own of bow hunting. This was probably uh, six years ago, and uh, we had a whole bunch of guys out on the property. Uh, I want to say there were five or six of us, um, plus Kyle and his brother. And um, so we, we had a full crew on a pretty small property, uh, parcel like 70 acres. And there were, I don't know, there might've been seven of us total actually. And, uh, had a nice buck come in. It was, it was getting cooler in the evening. Uh, some was starting to go down. There were still a lot of leaves on the trees. And so, um, it just was not a, um, a bright and shiny day in the woods at that point. And, uh, uh, had this nice buck come in. It was a nice eight point. I would guess maybe a two and a half year old, um, we had not shot a lot of deer on our property yet. So a buck like that, um, got me, uh, excited, got the juices flowing. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to take this buck. It was somewhere around 25, 27 yards and, uh, and came in and stood broadside next to a tree. And there was quite a bit of, uh, still leaves on the trees and branches between the deer and I, but I was confident that I could sneak an arrow in, uh, into the vitals, um, even at that distance. So I drew back and this buck was looking right at me and somewhere in the, in the middle of the timing of the release, uh, whether the deer jumped the string, I'm pretty sure the arrow hit a branch because it never got anywhere near, uh, the vitals on this buck. But it rattled around. The, the arrow made a ton of noise as it made its way to the buck. And then it made a sound that I was pretty confident sounded like um, antlers, like antlers crashing together, like you would use uh, to call a buck in or rattle a buck in. And as the deer took off, I was sure that I saw my lighted knock, but it looked like it was in the antlers. And so all I could think of was that I shot this buck somehow in the rack. Well, um, about a minute or two later, as this buck was long gone from me, I get a text from Amish Kyle's brother saying, hey, did one of you guys shoot a buck? I said, yeah, I just shot at one. He goes, it just ran by my stand. The arrow is nestled in the rack. And then I get a text from another one of the guys further down the field. And he said, hey, I just saw a buck go by and it's got an arrow flopping uh, in between its antlers. As it turned out, somehow that arrow deflected when I shot, stuck in the tree. I could find the mark where it hit the tree. And when the buck took off, it took the, the arrow with it. Never recovered the arrow, but 
uh, three guys ended up seeing my huge mistake is this buck carried this antler or this arrow with it across the field. Uh, the buck survived no harm, no foul, uh, other than the fact that I lost probably close to $30 in a, a broadhead and arrow and lighted knocks. That was uh, one of my dumbest hunts. And yet it's still one of my favorites because of uh, just the, the humor in all of it. If you hunt long enough, you will uh, make mistakes and you will also do some dumb things. And uh, you want to respect the animal animals that we hunt, but there's times where you just can't help but laughing at yourself and at the dumb things that take place uh, while deer hunting. Hey, thanks again for joining us on this episode of the BCA podcast. Uh, we're really excited about our upcoming deer season. It starts October 1st for us, and hearing some of these stories got us pretty fired up, got the juices flowing. Uh, can't wait to get into the woods and uh, to start the next uh, season of, of chasing deer for, uh, well, for us, it's almost three months. Hopefully uh, you're excited. Hopefully wherever you're listening, season is open or so going to soon be open. And we want to invite you to follow along. This fall, we will be doing a series of podcasts that are right from Deer Camp. And so uh, we want to invite you to join us for the laughs, uh, some of the memories, and some of the takes on each of the days that we, we hunt. And, uh, and as we try and figure out how to better manage our property, as well as how we encourage one another in our family and encourage one another uh, through Christ. So thanks again for listening and uh, check us out next week. Mm -hmm.